welcome back to another edition of the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Gluck, and I'm here at Daytona International Speedway with Kelly Crandall from Racer, and she also has a podcast called The Racing Writers Podcast, which um, it's very Nate Ryan-esque, I think, if, if uh, you haven't listened to it. I, I just listened to a couple episodes this week, so... Um, very well done with that, Kelly. How are you? Thank you, and thanks for that compliment. You told me that this morning in a text message, which is it's in writing, so I'm very glad I'll be able to keep that. That's a, that's a wonderful compliment to do for, for me. So uh, <laughs> I appreciate that very much, but I'm good. Long day, long night, yep, a little tired, a yep. little hungry. It's actually uh, Sunday here as we sit here because yes. it's uh, well after midnight now. Oh, it's almost 1 a.m.? Oh my gosh! Yes. So uh, <laughs> my wow. flight, my flight is in a few hours from Orlando, so we won't make this podcast run too long. I mean, normal length. I should be okay. Still got to write, but uh, yeah, I'm on a 5 a.m. flight back home. Just gonna pull an all-nighter and go straight back. So goodness. So yeah, you'll have a much rougher night than than I will. I guess I can't complain too much. And can I just say, as a side note, I'm very excited not only to do this podcast again, but I'm excited that the last time I did this podcast, you just had one microphone. Yeah. And it was kind of like a little a little awkward, like in the small Richmond radio room, kind of like huddled together doing, and now we've got two microphones. This is great, Jeff. Yeah, huh? you got your space. So, <laughs> Especially yeah. after a long, sweaty day in Daytona. <laughs> oh, I, mm, it was, it was hot. It was definitely hot and humid. And uh, it was, there was some hot action out on there, out there on the track. I like that transition as well, <laughs> because <That's a> pro. <laughs> yeah, uh, hot, fiery, sparky uh, action, wreck filled. Um, I don't think it's unfair in the least bit to describe this as a total demolition derby wreck fest. Am I correct in saying that? Oh, it was chaos. It was pure yeah, chaos. Yeah. And normally plate racing is, but actually one of the realizations I had on pit road as the last two cautions came out, um, because we went to overtime and all this other nonsense, the realization I came to just talking to some of our fellow colleagues out there is, you know, Daytona, for some reason, always seems like you get multiple big wrecks. There's just no room here. There's no room for these guys wanting to go two and three wide, whereas we go to Talladega and we expect this at Talladega. We normally get maybe the one big wreck, maybe two, but the track at Talladega is so much wider. You can get away with three and four wide. It's almost like they wreck at Talladega without wrecking. We're here in Daytona. We just constantly are tearing race cars up. So I, I don't think anybody would disagree. I don't think it's harsh at all. I mean, it was just pure chaos and nonsense tonight. Well, let's, let's like dive right into it. Cause I mean, obviously we have a lot to talk about, you know, with the winner and stuff like that, but let's get down to the nuts and bolts of, of what, you know, is this, is this racing? Cause you're, you're a true racer. I feel like, well, not only that you work for a racer, but I mean, I f- you feel like you have sort of like racing in your blood. Like you really appreciate good racing. And I was watching this race very conflicted because look on the one hand, it was totally entertaining. There's no part where you're like, well, this was boring. I mean, it was always setting up even the part where they're single file, you know, it was setting up towards something because it's, you know, building toward a stage and you, you know, you knew that at the end of the stage, they were going to bunch back up and which they did right especially at the end of stage one because mm-hmm. i got a little nervous just to that point i was like oh gosh they're single filing right. out is anybody gonna try anything and then they bunched it was almost like as soon as they decided it was go time with three to go in the first stage they were right back two by two yeah it was weird it was sort of like a, an amoeba or something like that where it's like it has one form and you're like oh and then all of a sudden you look up and it's like how they're getting a pack again mm-hmm. like they immediately would yeah. go back into a pack 
which and was kind of cool. The reason I say I get nervous is because I understand why they're getting single file, and nobody right. can blame them for doing that. Uh, my biggest gripe would be that the last few restrictor plate races it seems like we get down at the end of these races and when they single file out these guys wait so long because they they feel like or they think and hey they're the experts i'm not going to question them but looking back they feel like they have a plan they know when they want to go and then they wait so long that by the time they go nobody makes up any ground Mm -hmm. and normally the leader kind of gets away scot-free and you see guys leading maybe the last 50 laps of a race the last 20 laps of a plate race and they go untouched because everybody behind them lines up and either doesn't try to do anything because they know if they jump out of line they're going to get shuffled or the ones who do jump out of line are normally a little further back and they don't really go anywhere so so that's why i say i get nervous is because you mentioned being you know a fan i I want to see them do something, and I and I'm like I love it when they're two by two, and then when they get single file, I'm like, no, don't do this to me. <laughs> You're right, and that's that's a really really great observation, I think, because now that you say that, I kind of flash back to standing on pit road at some of these other plate races. I think even at Talladega, um, no, I, wasn't I think it at happens more at Talladega than here. It, and you know, we're looking at everybody, and we're asking the drivers, and we're like, how come nobody went with you? Yeah, you know, like how come how come nobody could make a move? And they're like, well, I tried to make a move, if- but nobody would go and. If I had a dollar for every time I have stood on pit road, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's with you or anybody else, and I've turned to people and I'm like, what are they waiting for? Right. Why are they waiting so long? Right. It's 10 to go. It's five to go. It's three to go. We're coming to the white flag and nobody has made a move. It drives me absolutely nuts. And again, I, I'm I'm not behind the wheel. I'm not an expert. But just from, from observing and watching these plate races, how they unfold every year, it's like you kind of get an understanding of feeling like you know what they need to do and it's like why why is nobody doing anything why is nobody trying anything it, it was a little bit of the opposite tonight that the field would get again they would get single file but then they could quickly bunch back up when they wanted to it wasn't like anybody was really afraid um to make a move yeah well it seemed like so early in the race when like the top line was so dominant and it was like okay once once they got single filed out then so wait, we got we have to tell you guys something so we're in this room and there's like this mosquito flying around and neither of us is trying to get bit by the mosquito so like while we're talking we're sort of like swatting it yeah. at the other per- our hands are direction. fly swatters and we're it's like- funny i said to jeff before we started recording that i used this room yesterday for uh, ironically enough a podcast interview of my own and I said when I came in here, I'm like, man, this room stinks. And I noticed it yesterday. So this is just maybe the jinxed room. I, can I don't you know. just, if the mosquito while I'm talking just lands on me, can you just swat me? Like, yeah, I don't make for like good Ricky Stenhouse radio. Yeah. swatted some of the other well, drivers tonight. He did a lot more than that. That's the <laughs> nice way of putting it. But, okay, so can, let can me. Can I just go back yes, to, to yes, one thing? Yes. So your original question was, is this racing? I think that's kind of yeah. how you were starting this. I know. We went down so, a road. Well, I wanted to jump back to it because it, this came up in the media center people were giving me kind of grief because i i admit i love restrictor plate racing okay and people give me grief about that because like you just said it turns into wreck fest mm-hmm. it's chaos tonight was pure chaos i admit that but i also admit i love restrictor plate racing and people get on me about that because they think when i say that that i mean i love everything that happened tonight mm-hmm. and that's just not the case i love plate racing in the fact that when those guys were going at it and they are two and three wide, and they are inches apart, and handling's coming into play, and that's what I love about plate racing. But the problem is, of course, we associate plate racing with crashes, 
So if somebody says, I love plate racing, they're like, well, it's not real racing. Right. It, this is this is garbage. So I just wanted to jump back to because I, I, I don't mind putting that out there. Yeah. I okay. Don't. So you want plate racing where it's like, you know, two or three wide in a pack, thrilling, dicey moves. Yeah. I want to see you, them there go might be, out there. There might be a big wreck as a result, but it's not, you're not like, but that's okay, plate I want to see. Right. 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 I don't want to consequence see. Of yeah. It. I don't. So we had 10 cautions tonight. You take out the two for the stage breaks. Everything else was for multi-car accidents. Yeah. Well, besides, you know, single car spins like Stenhouse and, Ken, and uh, Kennington. Right. So, you know. Yes, I, I, I going back to what you said, I wanna see the 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 pure talent, as Kyle Bush would say, of, of drivers that can handle these cars inches apart. The drivers who can go two and three wide and stay in a pack and who can maneuver the draft. That's what I want. So, but yeah. again, you know, plate racing understandably has, has become kind of a dirty word and kind of a dirty practice because all we do is is tear up race cars well it, and there's i think it comes down to there's a very fine line you know you, you go to a plate race and if they wreck in a big one you say well there's the big one it's not supposed to it's be the expected. big two the big three you know whatever right. it's it's the one big wreck wow there it is you you expect that now if that happens and then there's another one and then there's another one mm-hmm. And then you get toward the end of the race and it's building. And then there's another wreck. You're just like, That's oh, when it becomes nonsense, like right, I said earlier. Right. Like, that's this why, is just, come on. That's you why know? I think tonight definitely falls into the category of this was nonsense. Mm-hmm. You know, I go, so when I first got into the sport, and and granted, it wasn't, there's been a lot of talk recently of the good old days. It wasn't in the good old days. I only got into the sport in the early 2000s. But even then, plate racing, yes, you would have the big wreck, but it would only be, like you said, one maybe two a, a race now we're having three four i mean tonight was what one two three four five wow five wrecks for more than for either three or more cars in an accident wow. yeah. and that that's that's nonsense but you know you can't you can't on on the one hand you can't have it the way that you want without risking that because the way the packages these days um, I guess it, it's just a, a side effect. I, I One of my patrons is named uh, Matt Gross, and he has a really good memory about this stuff. And he was texting me tonight, and he was saying that, you know, he was so he's so frustrated with plate racing now because he's been a fan since the 90s, and these have just devolved into total wreck fest. And he was saying that six of the last um, eight plate races, according to his, at least in his brain, and he has better memory than I do, have been wreck fests like this. Um, where, you know, it's just not satisfying viewing. And of course you, you, you do have the occasional one where you're like, that was thrilling. That Mm -hmm. was great. It wasn't over, but it's, it's become a trend more where they are crashing a lot. Like you said, um, and it didn't didn't seem like it used to be that way. Right. And, and I, and I sometimes wonder, you know, after all of these races, I, I, I sit back and I'm like, well, all right, and I'll do it again tonight or this morning. Okay. Why did this happen? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and because, you know, whether it's your patron or, or again, the, when I first got into it and I watched it in early 2000s, it wasn't like this. And it has just evolved into chaos. I, we keep saying those words, I, yeah. or I do. I keep saying nonsense and chaos. And I, and I, so I question, you know, why is it? Is it, I don't think it's because the drivers are less talented nowadays that they don't know how to plate race. So, you know, 
I look at how the cars have evolved and just how drafting has evolved. And it's just, there's got to be some, there has to be some reason, at least in in a journalist's mind, you want to know why this has happened. Because I really don't think it's just as simple as saying that we show up to plate tracks and everybody loses their mind. I I bet it's that, um, you know, you, you sort of touched on it. You said that it's not like, you know, people don't know what they're doing. I think I think it's almost that too many people know what they're doing now. Like up up until about maybe four years ago, we used to always say, it's such a crapshoot. Oh, my gosh. It's whoever gets the right push at the right time. And it's going to be lottery. Then we found out that, oh, wait a minute. Guys like Keselowski, Denny Hamlin. These guys are really they're good. They're like masters at it. They're really and good. You can if you get out front and you're super, super yeah. aggressive like Stenhouse was trying to be and and did to success with two plate wins last year yeah and he was also aggressive in february yeah and he this caused year. but he caused wreck, wreck. Yeah. now granted it was non-contact wrecks it was just working the draft yeah but still he didn't hide the fact that he was going to be aggressive because that's what you have to do in his mind that's what you have to do at plate tracks so that i think should be our working theory because it's that so many of them know mm-hmm. now what you have to do to win and they've seen others do it that they know you have to make these crazy moves. You have to make these crazy blocks. And if you don't, you're going to get sucked back. And then you're going to be in the middle of it anyway. Yeah. So, But again, I also think part of that, too, is you mentioned so you get sucked back. Mm-hmm. I think that plays into uh, the other part of the theory, which is the draft mm-hmm. and how these cars have changed and how passing has changed. Because a lot of the times we used to come the last couple years of Dale Jr.'s career, he would what? He would show up in the media center at Daytona and Talladega and talk about how of all things, you talk about how important track position is because you can't right. you can't even pass anymore at restrictor plate tracks. Right. So I think it might be a little bit of everything. I think the cars have changed so much that they just don't react the same as they used to in the draft. I think uh, you know even tonight didn't Denny Hamlin come in this weekend and I mean he kind of predicted it would be a wreck fest, but he did. I think he mentioned this weekend specifically was because maybe the spoilers were a little different. Which yeah, they changed the remember. package. Yeah, it, I can't it was remember. when we were standing at the Denny Hamlin event that we went to the yeah. other day the project rubicon thing i just couldn't remember exactly yeah. what they changed but so the, yeah he said I, the, I think... the ears the dog ears or whatever on the yeah. side or whatever ears some animals ears yeah <laughs> were on the side and that was allowing them to suck up mm-hmm. faster and he was predicting that there was going to be he, he said it was going to be a wreck fest yes, he did so um so again right. it's almost like we went through years and years and years of knowing what to expect knowing mm-hmm. how the cars were going to react having the same types of cars and packages and then all of a sudden i guess maybe and I could be wrong, but maybe in the last 10 years or so or whatever it's been, the cars have constantly changed. The, the packages have certainly constantly changed. And I think that's played into the draft. And and these guys think they know what they need to do or they're trying all these different things. And it's just apparently resulting in more chaos. I, I, I don't know. I mean, there's so many theories of to me of, of, of what's going on because this is, um, as we started off talking about, this is definitely abnormal from what we're used to seeing. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Ricky Stenhouse um, even before we get into Eric Jones because I feel like he was in some ways the story of the night aside from oh, the winner. Oh, he was the story of the night. Yeah, yeah. He was involved in, according to the race report, five incidents. Um, I only remember Two of which four he caused. Of Two of which he caused. It, well, okay, here's – so here's – I'm going to – Twitter was lighting him up, furious. I am actually going to say that the first one I really don't feel like was his – fault directly no i mean he was involved with it but i actually buy the keselowski theory that william byron threw a 
block. That oh, I completely buy it. You, so you you agree with Kozlowski I mean, there? Wa- so watching it in real time, when I saw it play out in real time before even replays, like uh-huh. in real time when I watched it on the screen, as soon as they started wrecking, I, I said, oh, Byron blocked. Oh, okay. Because he made uh, such a move to go from the outside to jump in front of Kozlowski, and then, and then Kez was just um, – he took such a right turn that you I knew he'd been tagged. And for him to turn be turned that sharply, I'm like, there there had to have been a break in momentum there. And then the more I watched the replays and over and over and different angles, not saying Byron did anything wrong. Like I don't I'm you know, I'm not sitting here saying, Oh, he just caused a big one. That happens, but I I yeah, it's a, it was a chain reaction. His block led to a break in Kozlowski's momentum, which led to him being run over essentially by Stenhouse. Right. So Unfortunately, Ricky was the guy to make the contact, so the blame goes to him. But in in if you were to break it down again in, in racing terms, I think you it starts the chain reaction starts with Byron. Well, and and so I agree with that, but I'm not sure why I agree with it. So Joey Meyer <laughs> said, uh, "Who's Brad Kozlowski's spotter?" He tweeted right after that wreck. Fine line between quote managing and quote blocking. If anyone asks, one works, the other doesn't. So I guess what I'm wondering is how do I – okay, I agree with you that Byron came down, slowed the momentum of Kozlowski, who, who, had, to sl- who had to check up or else he was going to run through him, and then, and then Stenhouse hits him, and he just was going forward. But Kozlowski does that all the time where he's swooping, blocking, and defend, blocking, and defend. You see the good guys do that, that know how to do that. Why? What was the difference, I guess, between Keselowski doing that and Byron doing that? Byron made it too late, the move? I don't know. I don't know if he necessarily made it too late. Because um, Keselowski does that stuff. Logano does that yeah, stuff. And they but make again, it work. Go, so going back to what Joey said, it's it's you have to know that when you're making the move, how you're – how you're affecting the air not necessarily mm-hmm. how you're going to affect the people behind you but how the air is going to affect the people behind you and i will shamelessly plug my podcast in that regard because leading into the talladega race a couple months ago i did a podcast with joey to talk about a spotter's role at a stricter plate race the information he tells his driver and what he says about working the lines working the draft because you mentioned it brad is one of the best at jumping from line to line and knowing how how the energy, as Joey would say, is going to affect those around him. So I would argue that maybe Byron didn't jump too late. Just maybe the way in which he jumped, that it was such an abrupt left turn mm-hmm. that not only did it mess the air up, but again, it was so abrupt that I think Brad even admitted he even had to break. Mm-hmm. And if you break in a plate race in a pack, you're going to get run over. And well, that's where the second part of the contact comes from with Stenhouse. So, I, again, I think there was a lot of variables there. I don't – I'd have to go back and look again because I didn't think of it that way in terms of did Byron go too late. Well, and I don't know the answer because I just don't understand where the fine line is. But I, I'm going to take Keselowski's word for it and give him the benefit of the doubt given his uh, tons of experience in that situation. Right. Um, he's done that enough where he, he must know that, okay – Doing it in that way is a, throwing a big block. Doing it in the other way is taking people's momentum away. Mm-hmm. There's there's obviously a fine line. It's very um, possible Byron did jump late. I wasn't listening to his radio at that moment, so 
I can't really pair up in my mind when he got the communication and even what the communication was. Well, and pl- but he to, has no know, experience anyway, right, though, in like, that situation. What, what was he even told was happening around him? Was yeah. he was he specifically told, okay, the two is coming, you know, do this or so on and so forth. Like, I don't even know. I wasn't on his radio at that time, so I can't, I don't even know what what information William had before he made his decision and when he made it. When he's out front in that situation for the first time in his career, and that's not something that you can go to the simulator and practice on because the air is so unique Mm -hmm. in all these situations. These guys don't know how it's going to react when they're in the race, let alone, you know, so um, I I really, I I just don't put that one on Stenhouse, though, because I feel like it's Stenhouse is going. He's not expecting something there. Um, The second one, obviously, on Stenhouse, he admitted it. It was a side draft gone wrong. People have done that before. So obviously, you know, you you blame him for taking out uh, Kyle Busch and Byron there. Um, just the fact that he was involved with the first one, then everybody goes, well, now you're really a, a jerk, you know, for ruining everybody's night. And then the crowd cheers and goes crazy when Kyle Larson um, cuts a tire and takes out Stenhouse out of yeah. nowhere. But Stenhouse, after the race, was very, I mean, he's like, look, that was, he basically said that was karma for him, essentially, and that he probably was the one that, the, something that he did was probably yeah. the, the one that got Kyle Larson damaged the in the first place. That was the funniest part of the quote. Yeah. He's like, I probably caused it from causing a first wreck. So. Right, right. <laughs> um, and then he tears up a tire and spins through the grass himself. So um, really not a good night for him, but I, I don't think that it's as bad as everybody he doesn't deserve as much of the scorn as everybody's going to give him after the race no it just you know it just looks bad it does and it does. as we know sometimes you know perception is reality mm-hmm. and as as we tend to do in racing for whatever reason we like to assign blame and be mad at somebody i mean I even, li- even last week at chicago yeah. we had a fantastic finish again but we were still mad at something and someone you know so Unfortunately for Ricky, he is this week's scapegoat. And, yeah. I, you know, I think part of it, too, maybe, Jeff, is the fact that, again, going back to February, he he did this down here in February. That's and true. People were he has not, a history of it. Right. And people yes, were yes. not happy in February that he was racing like he was racing in the dual races and crashing people's primary cars for the Daytona 500. So, yeah. unfortunately, you know, drivers, drivers say they have, you know, good memories. They don't forget. I just... It, yeah, it, it, it goes away, and then all of a sudden they go, they they bring up all this stuff. You're like, yeah, wow, how they remember that? Yeah, 1989 at <laughs> Richmond, but there's there Twitter. Yeah, Twitter is on fire tonight. I, I don't yeah. want to be. <laughs> I hope Ricky turned his phone off. Well, he I saw he tweeted, and I was hoping that after he tweeted, he just didn't look at I any hope of he the mentions. It off. Yeah. It's not and and be... please mention that he got a police escort out of the garage area. I saw that. Who tweeted that? Actually, it was uh, Zach, Zach Albert, Albert from NASCAR.com yeah. tweeted it, and I actually asked Zach. I said, Zach, did he really have a police escort, or was it kind of just ironic they maybe they were in the same area? Uh-huh. And uh, according to Zach, from what he told me, he believes he was under the impression by the way the Roush folks reacted that maybe they had. Oh, uh, they had asked. They had hey. asked. So, we, we think this is a little Kyle maybe Bush they were Richmond being, situation. Yeah, maybe they so. were being proactive. So. Yeah, okay. Or maybe it could have been that um, these, the if the uh, police were being proactive and Roush was just thanking them for that regard. I wasn't there. I was just going by what Zach, was, what Zach was telling me, but he was under the impression that it was not a coincidence. Yeah, okay. Well, that's, that's fair. I mean, it's not a bad idea, probably, based no. on what happened. Like I said, um, Twitter's on fire right now. Yeah. So uh, we're like 24 minutes into the podcast, something like that, and we haven't talked about Eric Jones really yet. So That Jones boy. <laughs> he won his first career race. Very exciting. I mean, uh, I you know, 
About Obviously, time. the the narrowed field uh, played into it. You can't deny that. Um, there was only half the field left, so that increased his chances. Um, but he ran a good race, and at the end, he was going up against Mark Truex Jr., and he beat him straight up, fair and square. Right. He did so, beat him straight up. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, the field was narrowed, but at the same time, it wasn't like Truex, or Truex, it wasn't as if Eric was hanging out at the back of the pack, because his car... And you go to Victory Lane and look at his car. His car is beat to hell right mm. now. So he was in the middle of all of it. He was up there. And the fact that, yeah, he went head-to-head with Truex, who maybe you might be able to argue had the fastest car just by the way he came through the field when he decided he wanted to come through the field. And I thought for sure as soon as Truex was up there, I'm like, man, it, it, he's so fast. I don't know if anybody is going to be able to, to get past him without the right push. So to beat Martin head-to-head makes it even more impressive to me. I don't care that half the field was taken out. Well, it was a really exciting end, and I need to. I want to go back and watch the replay a couple more times to understand exactly what happened. Um, one thing people don't understand, I don't think, unless you have watched the replay multiple times, is we see it live, and then we run out. You, you were yeah. already outside. Yeah. I watched it in here, and then I sprinted out to the grid. We do all these interviews and all that stuff. We don't really have a chance to go – even see the replay one time mm-hmm. uh, have you seen the replay yet uh no because, so, yeah, because you come back inside and then interviews in right. the media center are taking place and by this time now you're starting to write and it's normally while i'm in the process of writing that i'm like wait a minute i need to go back and make sure i'm describing it as i right. think i saw it happen so we're talking on the you podcast know, to you guys and you guys have all seen the replay far more times than we have we have not seen one replay. i haven't seen one replay so I we're saw doing it live. this off memory yeah. right so. i saw it live in my mind and I have not yet gone back to check to make sure that what I have in my mind right now is actually how it played out. Yes. Okay, so this is what I remember. Correct me if, <laughs> if you remember something differently. So on the second overtime restart, um, they line up, and Kane is the one pushing Truex, and then Chris Busher is going to push Jones. Well, um, Kane gives uh, Truex a great push. They get out front. Jones, meanwhile, has no help. I don't know what happened exactly to Busher. He just couldn't catch. Mm-hmm. He couldn't keep up with Jones. So Truex sort of takes off. Then Kane makes this crazy Kane move. Kane jumps to the outside. Yeah, he swoops out. And all of a sudden, Kane's He's in the bri- lead. Yeah, briefly has the lead. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, next thing you know. Uh, They're Kane, three wide. Yeah, and, and Jones is coming up, and, and yep. Truex is coming up. And then on the backstretch, um, Busher has caught up. And Busher just gives mm-hmm. uh, Jones a huge shot. And then Busher said afterwards he was hoping that, in his mind, he's thinking, okay, I'm going to push Jones all the way out here past him, and then maybe I can kind of get him up the hill and turn three, right. swoop under. But it didn't turn out that way because then at that time, Truex is coming back and side-drafting Busher. So Busher's momentum goes away, and then it's Jones out in front. Yeah, that's kind of how I remember it right now in my yeah. mind. I remember... I don't remember the whole last lap. I remember the restart. I remember Truex jumping out front and thinking, oh, well, there he goes. I don't, again, I don't think anybody's going to beat him. And then I remember Casey Kane making that fantastic dive to the outside, and, and I think it was turn two, briefly in the lead on the backstretch. And the next thing I remember in my mind as of right now is three wide, Truex, mm-hmm. Kane, Jones, and then Jones winning. So yeah. that, that's how I have it in my mind right now. I haven't been able to go back and, and actually – again watch it again and again and and whatnot so you know given all that um i think jones i mean you know it's not like uh uh you know 